Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Data with episode 271 of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again, and it is Thursday, so you know what that means. We are here to talk all things AEW and NXT. AEW is wasting no time driving down its road to revolution going down, not this, but next weekend on pay-per-view, so there's an absolute ton to talk about there. Meanwhile, NXT is building to this stand-and-deliver card, which is going to take place the first night of WrestleMania on Saturday in the afternoon, ahead of that major show, and they're also booking a ton of stuff for television as well. So, we have plenty to talk about on today's show, AEW, NXT, and also NXT Level Up, the renamed edition of 205 Live. Your boy, The Silver King, watched the first episode I have some comments on that. We will talk about that a little bit later. Before we get to everything, of course, you know I would be remiss if I started any episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast without reminding you that this place is So do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave a five-star rating on Apple. Also leave a review. Tell people why you love listening to Getting Over. Tell them why they should subscribe. As always, five-star reviews that are written out on Apple get read on this podcast. Do not forget to leave those when you get an opportunity. Hopefully, you can do it now. It literally only takes five seconds. You click the stars. You're done. On Apple, spend another 30 seconds write something for us. Give us a note. Send us a message. That's all. Not that hard. Also, do not forget, please follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. That account is growing It is WrestleMania season. This is our biggest time of the year. And let me tell you all, the Silver King doesn't just take WrestleMania season in stride. He doesn't put his feet up and say, ah, football season is over. There's, you know, we can can relax in our real lives and just kind of do the podcast and let you guys listen. No, the Silver King is going all in on the road to WrestleMania. Not only are we in the process of setting up a ton of big time interviews with WWE, but the reason why this show on Thursday was a little bit delayed is because I have locked up a massive interview that is going to be on this podcast in the next week or two. It is someone who you guys all know I am a massive fan of, someone who I talk about all the time and I think has an incredible, already had an incredible career and has an incredible future as well. That person will be joining the Getting Over Wrestling podcast in the next week or two. So look out for that. As far as today's show, yes, we are here to talk AEW and NXT. We're going to start with AEW, but as always, in our episode descriptions, we will have timestamps. So if you only watch NXT, you can jump to that. You can go back and forth. Whatever you need to do, every show of every episode of Getting Over, with the exception of Instant Analysis, have timestamps. You can jump back and forth. I always suggest, of course, listening to the entire show. As I said, AEW is on that road to revolution. It is closing in, so we are going to kick off with them this week. And my quick overview of Dynamite, which is primarily what AEW gives us on a weekly basis. I mean, I know there's some of you guys that can't wait for Rampage on Friday night at 10 p.m. This past week, it was at 7. Uh, I think it was bumped due to NBA basketball. But man, Rampage is a slog for me. It is a very difficult watch. As far as Dynamites go, though, the last three weeks have been three 
of probably the best episodes that AEW has ever put out as far as I'm concerned. I'm not saying they're the one, two, and three best ever, but they're definitely three of the top 15, um, maybe even better, maybe even three of the top 10. They've just been extraordinarily interesting from start to finish with very few moments that truly bothered me. And, and one thing that certainly did this week was the entire booking of the women's division. We will talk about that a little bit later. So let's get into Dynamite and Rampage. I break it down by subject, so it will get mixed together in some parts, but most of this, of course, is Dynamite. And I want to talk about the thing that hit me in the feel spot most, which was MJF. MJF hit the ring in the middle of the show. He was showing a bunch of emotions, talking about having learning disabilities as a kid and professional wrestling being the only thing he loved for a while. He said even when he started at linebacker in high school, his teammates threw quarters at him and called him Jew boy, but meeting CM Punk motivated him to become the best in the world. He blamed Punk for leaving him and all of us fans in 2014 when everyone needed him the most. Then MJF got angry and said he started his career in spite of Punk and would never, ever quit in the dog collar match. That led Punk out to the ring without his entrance music, and he asked MJF off the mic if what he said was true. MJF said it was and left the ring as Punk looked stunned. This right here was among the best promos in AEW history, and it's right there with Edge from Monday. I just mentioned it on our Tuesday show here as early promo of the year contenders. They're one and two in some order. I think MJF is probably number one at this point, but they are two of the best promos of the entire year. We're only two months into the year. It's going to be very difficult to top both of those in 2022. Uh, I'm not completely sure, and I say this as someone obviously based, you guys know my name, I'm obviously Jewish. Uh, I'm not sure the anti-Semitic part of it, of the story, was necessary, given it's just a wrestling storyline, but that was really only a blip that I had in this entire thing. The off-mic stuff between Punk and MJF only sold it further, and I would bet a really good amount of money there's going to be a moment in that revolution match where Punk shows MJF mercy. MJF takes advantage of that, wins, and laughs in Punk's face. I just have a feeling that's how it's going to develop. And if it is, it only goes further to prove how smart of a character MJF is and how great of a wrestler Maxwell Jacob Friedman is in terms of his real-life personality. So, persona, I should say. So... This was fantastic from start to finish. Uh, I really need to go back and confirm. I, I didn't think of it in this context, but I do believe it was the best wrestling segment of the week and one of the best so far of the entire year. Just fantastic, incredible stuff from MJF and Punk. Punk deserves credit too, because when his entrance music, for, or when not his entrance music, when he first made his way out, I actually groaned. I was like, oh, they're going to ruin this segment by doing a face-to-face and MJF attacking him from behind or something. They didn't. It Punk coming out actually sold it even further. I was glad they did it. And this thing just was a complete grand slam home run. Absolutely loved it. Also on Dynamite, another similarly good, but not as good segment. We had Chris Jericho and Eddie Kingston go face to face. Kingston complained about the four security guards in the ring. Jericho said it was because he wanted them to speak like men and not act like thugs. Kingston said he likes to fight and AEW isn't sports entertainment. So Jericho should just go down the block referencing Stanford, since they were in Connecticut. Jericho said his sports entertainment is actually entertaining, taking a shot at WWE. He said he thought Kingston looked like a jobber, but proved he could be a huge babyface. And I loved what Kingston did in response. He kept kayfabe and he acted like, I don't know what you're talking about. What's a babyface? Loved that. 
Uh, Jericho said Kingston was jealous that Jericho made it big time 16 years ahead of Kingston. Kingston talked about being his own man, and then he made a really simple challenge for a match at Revolution. Jericho said all of Kingston's heroes were failures, his father, his uncle, and he can't win the big one. He said Kingston won't beat him, but if he does, he'll shake his hand and give him full respect. Kingston said he wanted the best version of Jericho or else he would eat whatever other version he put in the match alive. Jericho said Kingston knows he's a loser, and then Jericho turned his back and left. This was another incredible segment. Typical WWE shots were expected, but they were just so unnecessary, and you could tell they were only to get crowd reaction that was not needed for what was already a really hot story. I liked that they built this feud around something other than Santana and Ortiz. It's strange how they failed to mention it here, and they kind of let it slide by the wayside when it was such a huge part of this feud getting started. And look, maybe they do factor into Revolution somehow. Maybe they come out and distract Jericho or they beat him up in the post-match. Maybe something happens. That's a small nitpick from what was a great back and forth promo between two of the best stick workers that are out there. So a really good segment. I just wish it was a little bit more cohesive. It was two good promos that combined together to be a great segment when both of those guys are capable of doing two great promos that would combine to be an all-time segment. We didn't get there, but it was still really entertaining. Dynamite opened with a tag team battle royal. This was for the first two spots in the triple threat title match at Revolution. Young Bucks and Red Dragon hit big moves before deciding to team up. FTR combined to eliminate Nick Jackson. Orange Cassidy caught Trent Beretta on his shoulders in a fun spot outside before Trent eliminated Bobby Fish. John Silver eliminated Cash Wheeler, leaving only singles of all the teams in the ring. Uh, Santana and Trent battled on the apron, but got booted off by Matt Jackson and Kyle O'Reilly. Fish cheated to eliminate Dax Harwood. Matt and Kyle worked together with Kyle fooling Matt at the very end by feigning an injured shoulder for a double elimination and the win. The Bucks and Red Dragon argued after the bell, obviously. After the match, Hangman Adam Page ran in to attack Red Dragon. The Bucks didn't stop him. Adam Cole eventually ran in and got pummeled by Page. Silver then rolled O'Reilly in the ring to eat a buckshot lariat. Page stole Cole's like story time gimmick. He sat down in a chair and he cut, I don't know, a mediocre at best promo about burying Cole at Revolution. The Battle Royal was fine. I thought it was a strong storyline finish and a good post-match kind of combining two feuds into one. It's been obvious from the start that these two teams would be the challengers to Jurassic Express, Young Bucks and Red Dragon. I expect the Young Bucks to now go ahead and win this, uh, I think it's a casino style Battle Royal next Wednesday on Dynamite. Like I said, it's just been obvious from the start. Page's promo, it really didn't get me more excited for their match. And you really need to admit that the AEW World Championship match that's going to main event this pay-per-view has one of the worst builds out of any match on the show. In fact, that match and the women's match are two of the worst built matches on the whole show, which is extremely strange. Now, the go-home is next week. They have an opportunity to sell both of those. But you know what AEW has done frequently on their go-home shows? Not featured their main eventers. Now, hopefully that changes, but in the past, that has not been the case. There's been many shows previously where John Moxley or Kenny Omega or Chris Jericho was not on the go-home show. With the women not being on TV at all this week, it would make sense for them to both be on the go-home show. Uh, later, the Bucks were backstage, predictably angry at losing. They said they're motivated to qualify next week so they can kick Red Dragon's ass. Cole yelled at O'Reilly and Fish for not trying their best to get along with the Bucks. I thought it was all good backstage stuff. And this storyline is interesting. Does Paige reunite with the Young Bucks? When is Kenny Omega coming back? Is there going to be a fraction? Are they all going to get together and this is all 
kind of fooling us? You know, a lot of questions here. Don't know the answers. That makes me want to watch the product. Dynamite, the main event was Brian Danielson against Daniel Garcia. Danielson cut a solid backstage promo about teaching Garcia and then providing an answer to John Moxley after the match. Garcia got a lot of offense early before Danielson hit a shotgun dropkick. They traded a ton of strikes, but Danielson grabbed Garcia's arms for a bunch of stomps, then added the triangle sleeper with his legs while he flexed for the win. But the finish was really odd. The bell rang immediately when Danielson got his legs around his neck, but we didn't see him submit. It wasn't long enough for him to be knocked out. It was a very fast finish. I think Dynamite was running out of time, but it was a very fast finish to what was a pretty decent match, but it was to the point where I didn't even grade the thing because it was just so rushed and a lot of it was slow. So yeah, I didn't have a grade for this match, which was really a surprise to me. Uh, After the bell, Danielson grabbed the mic only to be attacked by 2.0 and saved by John Moxley, who cleared the ring. Garcia tried to use a chair, but Danielson stole it. Moxic Garcia with Paradigm Shift. Brian took the mic and agreed to bleed together in a match at Revolution, saying Mox shouldn't be surprised if he's the only one left bleeding. Now, given how great their last two interactions had been, this was a bit of a letdown by comparison. This did, however, make it seem like they're going to move forward with them teaming up and forming a faction. So that's a positive. And the fact that they're doing a match to learn that they can trust each other as teammates or stablemates is a very unique thing that I'm not saying it's never happened in professional wrestling. I'm sure it has. But to my recollection, it hasn't happened recently. And for these two guys who are all about violence and the sport um, and and raising the game of these younger wrestlers to do a storyline like this, to me, makes a ton of sense. And it makes me very excited for not only their match, but the storyline going forward. On Dynamite, we had Kings of the Black Throne against Pentagon and Pac. Pentagon debuted his revisited dark persona in AEW coming off that vignette from last week. Penta took the Kings out at ringside and Pac immediately hit a 450 splash for a near fall on Malachi. There was a choreographed spot where Brody King chopped Penta while he was on Pac's shoulders, which resulted in a poison Rana. Malachi blind tagged, but Penta covered his mouth to avoid the mist and caught him in a pinning combination for the win with the idea that Malachi, because his mouth was covered, was swallowing his own mist. Brody pummeled Penta and Pac after the bell. Malachi grabbed a shovel that was brought by Penta and put it on his throat, ready to, I guess, murder him, right? Because you have a uh, shovel directly on someone's windpipe, you're going to kill them. Um, Anyway, he was ready to do that. He lifted it, the lights went out, and suddenly Buddy Matthews appeared in the ring. Buddy was absolutely jacked. He looked ready to go after the heels when he instead turned his back and attacked Penta and Pac. Malachi put the chair down and then had Buddy stomp Penta's head into it. Now you guys know Buddy Murphy back in the day, now Matthews, is one of my favorites. He's someone who from the very beginning I thought had a huge career in front of him. And he did get an incredible response from the crowd here, even though it was a pretty obvious development. But it was awesome to see him. And I will say I was even a little bit surprised at how over he was with the crowd. But that just goes and speaks to his talent. It was also really the only part of the segment that got the fans excited. The crowd was dead for this match. And the finish was, I don't know, I don't want to say it was terrible, but it definitely didn't excite the crowd. Plus, the whole segment, if we're just being honest, was completely overbooked. With the pre-match attack, the match, the post-match attack, Buddy showing up, not clearly being on a side. It just 
didn't make any sense to debut Penta's new character and then have him get crushed that quickly by a returning guy when he's already prone. Like, it's not like Penta was getting up on Malachi and beating him down and then Buddy came to do the same thing or whatever. This guy was already dead and he just killed him even further. AEW men's roster, uh, it's it just keeps getting more and more ridiculously stacked. I mean, they just brought in Keith Lee and Buddy Matthews. There's reports that Swerve Strickland is about to sign. I can confirm those are accurate, okay? You have to presume Jeff Hardy is coming soon. And then Johnny Gargano is still out there. I mean, in that short list, you have three of my top 15 or 20 favorite wrestlers. It's already the best men's roster in wrestling. I just have no idea what AEW is going to do with all these people. It's starting to feel like Tony Khan is just collecting wrestlers like action figures just so he can get all the names he likes. And I'm not saying that's wrong necessarily because when you look at everyone they've signed, especially recently, you say, well, Silver King, if you were the owner of AEW, who would you not have signed? None of them. I would have signed all of them, most likely. But I think the biggest issue is that their roster was so big before that. They had signed so many people leading into that that you say, okay, even if they churn the bottom 10% of their roster, the bottom 10% of their roster are people who, you know, candidly, maybe they shouldn't have signed in the first place, but they did just for headcount. If you have this many mid-carters, upper mid-carters, and main eventers all on your roster, well, number one, people have to lose, um, and people aren't going to be satisfied because they're not getting on TV frequently enough. These are problems that have you know, been apparent throughout the history of professional wrestling. It happened in WCW and it's happened in WWE. And now AEW is kind of facing this issue where they are not being selective anymore. I mean, sure, you could make, you could say, well, hey, Drake Drake Maverick was a free agent. They didn't sign him. Okay, yeah, I'm not saying that they're signing every single person coming out of WWE, but it does seem like anyone who has even a bit of value they are scooping up and just putting on TV and then sometimes forgetting about, and then they come back and have a couple matches and then they forget about them for a couple months. I'm just really curious to see how they are going to handle a roster this size when they have three hours of television weekly, because the answer is not to add more hours of television. Three hours of TV for a wrestling product in a given week is perfect. It's really what WWE should have. I mean, maybe you could say WWE should have four. WWE right now has seven hours of TV. It's just too much. So I guess AEW maybe could go three to four, but if they did and they added that hour to Rampage, if it's on Saturday in that 10 p.m. slot, I mean, at an at one hour, that show is a tough watch for me. I can't even imagine what it would be like at two hours. So again, just a lot of consternation that is being built up, at least for me internally, looking at, the way this roster is coming together. It is a sick-ass roster, the men's. Like, there are so many talented male wrestlers in this company, but there is only so much time on television. It's as simple as that. Let's keep going on here uh, with the Face of the Revolution ladder match qualifying. We had two matches in the development. On Rampage, Powerhouse Hobbs fought Dante Martin. I always like matches that are a contrast of styles. This one had Hobbs slowing Martin down a little bit too much. Martin did hit a great springboard vertical tornillo, 
but Hobbs caught him with an awesome lifting spine buster for the win. I really like that move and I hope he uses it more often. On Dynamite, we had Ricky Starks against 10. Starks was in the full Nelson from 10 when he pulled off his mask and hit a spear for the win. It was a pretty bad match and I hate that Starks uses a spear as one of his finishers. He is not someone who should be using a spear. There are myriad moves that he can do that are far more better, impactful, and entertaining than this guy just doing a spear. Uh, You you know what? Now that I look back on it, all three, or I guess four, of these AEW qualifying matches to this point, they've been pretty weak, which is weird for AEW. On Dynamite, we had Keith Lee backstage. He started cutting his first promo in AEW when Starks interrupted, told him to stay in his lane. He also did an impression of Keith Lee that was really funny. Then Hobbs tried to stare him down. This was better than either of the qualifying matches, but I don't know. It just didn't, it felt like it was a situation where they should have allowed Keith Lee to speak when it's his second ever appearance on television. On Dynamite, Matt Hardy announced some really convoluted Tornado Trios match between Andrade Alidolo himself and Isaiah Cassidy against Darby Allin Sting and Sammy Guevara at Revolution. All people I like, not a pay-per-view worthy match. It feels forced. This should be on TV. Even though there's been some storyline here, the announcement did not hit for me. On Dynamite, we had Jade Cargill against the Bunny. On Rampage, Jade was dressed like the Riddler. She did Leo Rush's old money lines from WWE, and Matt Hardy offered a match against the Bunny and teased the Hardy Boys coming together. He kept using the word extreme. There was a spot where Jade completely forgot to kick out at three, so Aubrey Edwards held her hand, and it was an absolutely horrendous botch. In WWE, she would have lost the match, her streak, and the title, and I really wish they had done that here because she legitimately screwed up. It was bad. Uh, The managers slid weapons into the ring and got ejected. Jade blocked Brass Knucks with her belt. She got distracted and ate two thrust kicks, but countered into Jaded for the win. Jim Ross called Jade the AEW Women's Champion. Nope, she is not. She is the TBS Champion. Um, The AEW Women's Champion was not on television this week. Once again, Uh, Jade asked who's left for her before Jade could even do an open challenge. Like she was in the middle of talking. Ty Conti cut an awful promo. Jade was forced to throw revolution into the conversation because Conti never mentioned it. Then Bunny, who just fought Jade and got beat by her, attacked Conti for no reason. I mean, I know they have like history, but in the moment it made no sense. And then Jade booted her in the face. So for however much I may complain about WWE's women's booking, and I do complain about it a lot, it's mostly just because the matches are a little short. AEW's booking is so much worse. It is just directionless. The division has talented women. We get the wrong ones on television. They push the wrong ones many times, not all the time. Sometimes they get the right, you know, get it right. And the booking's bad. They get no time. It is just an absolute waste. This entire thing was terrible. Coupled with what we got on Rampage, which I'll talk about right now, it was an awful week. What we got on Rampage was Serena Deeb against a jobber. I didn't even catch her name in a five-minute challenge. Deeb won with a simple powerbomb and Serenity Lock in two minutes. These should be on dark. I mean, I know it's a five-minute challenge, so it's naturally going to be a short match until someone survives it. And whoever survives it, I'm sure, is someone that they want to introduce and push a little bit. But you do all this shit on dark and you show a clip of it on AEW Rampage, and then you give us a different women's match. This was a total waste of time. And being it was the only women's match on the show, it was really pathetic. We had two more matches on Rampage. Jay White against Trent Beretta. Trent basically missed a great middle rope springboard moonsault outside. White got a near fall on a deadlift German suplex bridge. White countered a spear with a knee. Then underhook suplex Trent into the barricade. 
Trent countered Blade Runner with a half Nelson suplex and a running knee for a near fall and got another one after a pile driver. Finally, White countered Trent for Blade Runner and the win. Really solid match with good back and forth action. Just not much to write home about. I gave it a 3.5 star B. And then also we had Adam Cole against 10. Cole laid a spear while trying the Panama Sunrise. Cole was in a full Nelson but escaped with a low blow. Chopped 10 down and hit the last shot for the win. There was nothing notable about this match, nothing wrong with it, but also nothing really that good about it. I wish Cole would have fought someone better, like a Stu Grayson or something. Uh, Red Dragon also celebrated it with him after the bell. So as you can tell, I thought the upper portion of the AEW card was really booked strong this week, especially on Dynamite, whereas everything else was just pretty weak. It really was. I'm glad to see Buddy Matthews there. As we mentioned, Keith Lee just debuted. There's going to be at least two more debuts coming up in the next couple of weeks, and maybe, you know, potentially another one soon down the line. And that's just the men. We don't know what's happening with the women. So a lot of exciting stuff here for AEW. It's just, I'm not totally sure how it's all going to come together and how they're going to be able to fit all these pieces into the pie or into the puzzle probably is a better uh, comparison or analogy. I just, you know, it's something I need to see play out a little bit more because the pieces are there. Uh, They're exciting. They're some of the best wrestlers in the world. But when there's this many of them not on television on a weekly or even monthly basis, you kind of start wondering, well, what's the end goal? What's it going to look like? And that is what I'm curious about. As far as AEW Revolution, we are going to do an entire Ultimate Preview next Thursday in this very spot. So I'm not going to go over the card. Even though it was built, I believe there's nine matches officially on the card right now. We're going to break all of those down next week in our Ultimate Preview. And then as soon as the pay-per-view goes off the air over the weekend, we will, of course, do an AEW Revolution instant analysis. We'll do a pre-show as well, a live pre-show, where we break down the entire card on Twitter Spaces. All of that is to come next week. Keep it locked here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast for schedules, dates, times, all that really good stuff. For now, though, we need to move over to NXT uh, because they are indeed building to stand and deliver, which, as I mentioned, will be the afternoon of night one of WrestleMania. And they're still building a number of big TV matches over the coming weeks. So let's get into that right now. Uh, Braun Breaker opened the show officially announcing NXT Stand and Deliver, as I mentioned. He promised to enter and leave as champion. Dolph Ziggler came out to say he will decide when and how he wants to take the title. They had a really fun back and forth. Uh, Braun made Ziggler smile a few times and almost break. Ziggler said Braun was barred from ringside for the main event on NXT, and he could just sit in the back and watch him steal the show. It was probably the best opening segment we've had for NXT since 2.0 started. It was just really on the money. Uh, Tommaso Ciampa was lifting weights when Braun told him good luck and he'd be watching. Braun started leaving when Ciampa said he saw their rivalry as one-to-one record-wise. So Breaker said he was looking forward to the rubber batch. I am as well. Uh, Ciampa versus Ziggler was the main event. It started hot. Ciampa hit a running knee, sending Ziggler off the ring apron outside and got most of the offense until Ziggler countered with a Famouser for a near fall. Champa countered a super kick with a boot and hit a falling backbreaker for a near fall. Then he added a V-trigger, but Ziggler got his foot on the ropes. Ziggler ran Champa into the post and hit a zigzag outside. Champa sold the dislocated shoulder or a stinger, something like that, but it left him unable to hit fairytale ending. Ziggler put him in a deep sleeper. Champa stood up with Ziggler on his back and dropped him for a 2.9 count. Champa hit air raid crash on the ring apron, but got drilled by a cameraman as he tried to re-enter the ring. Ziggler caught him with a super kick and fell on him for the win after 16 minutes. Ziggler sold being in shock when the cameraman revealed himself as Robert Roode to a chorus of boos. 
They attacked and Braun obviously made the save before making a tag team challenge for next week's show. All four brawled in what I thought was a really hot ending as the show went off the air. This was an incredible match. It had a disappointing finish, but it was understandable because they want to protect Champa. My hope is this winds up as a triple threat at Stand and Deliver, as that's going to make the most sense for all parties involved. But all of their segments on NXT, everything I mentioned here, was super entertaining. And if any WWE regular viewers tuned in, like the Raw viewers where they promoted this, it should have been worth their while to stay and watch this entire thing. At least I thought. I'm going to, for a match grade, downgrade it slightly because of the finish to four stars at an A-. minus. But it was a great main event. It kept the feuds interesting. And Robert Roode showing up back in NXT, the former champion, was really cool. I would love for them to let him do a glorious entrance next week. I know they're not going to, but it would be awesome if they did. Uh, Ellie Knight fought Grayson Waller in their rivalry match. Waller finally lost the stupid football gloves and his boxing trunks were more tapered to his legs, which was a huge improvement in look. He still did the stupid between the legs springboard elbow drop. Also, his knee pads fell down to his calves midway through the match and he never fixed it. It was just so distracting for me. But in terms of the gear, big improvement, something we've been talking about on this podcast for a while. Knight dominated most of the match, but Waller hit a sit-down powerbomb off his shoulders. Knight then caught and countered the rolling cutter into a slam. Sangha held Waller's arm as Knight slipped off while trying the BFT, and Waller caught him with a tight roll-up for the win in about 9 minutes, 10 minutes. Uh, both Waller and Sangha then ate BFTs from Knight to end the segment. Knight White walked off. He called himself the last man standing, which makes me clearly think we're going to get that as a stipulation match. Coming up soon, if not at Stand and Deliver. Knight also cut a promo later where he kind of said the same thing. There was good work here in the match. It just wasn't that exciting. It wasn't as good as I expected it to be. So it was a bit disappointing in that regard. But both of them work really well together. Knight is way over as a face compared to when he was working as a heel. He is so much better with this particular character as a face. And Waller kind of scheming his way out of stuff like this makes total sense. So I hate rematches. I don't like that it's really... That's the direction they're going. But if they do a last man standing or a stipulation, steel cage, something like that, um, at stand and deliver, it'll probably be worth it in the end. Uh, so let's break down the Dusty Rhodes Women's Tag Team Classic. Uh, Dakota Kai approached Wendy Chu, confused about them being a team for the event. Chu said she told Kai's imaginary friend, who Kai then seemed to talk to, who I guess confirmed that they were going to be a team. Uh, Cora Jade took Raquel Gonzalez to an obstacle course built in and among the trees. Uh, but Raquel was scared of heights. They ended up ziplining. Just like last week, it was cute and different enough where it was tolerable, but it wasn't really good. Also, there was a toxic lounge built where the platform normally exists uh, in the back of the performance center so that Toxic Attraction could watch the entire event over the next couple of weeks. Toxic Attraction made fun of Gonzalez and Jade, which made it pretty obvious to me that they're going to be in the finals. Mandy Rose they then gave credit to Kaylee Ray and Io Shirai for teaming up because they know they can't beat her. It was a cool look for the team, I thought. The way they were presented here, it was nice. Uh, KLR and Shirai fought Lash Legends and Amari Miller in the first uh, Dusty Rhodes Women's Tag Team Classic match. Shirai immediately hit a 619, but slipped on a springboard move, so she ended up hitting a missile dropkick from the top rope instead. Uh, KLR hit the Gory Bomb and an unnecessary and pretty bad middle rope moonsault before Shirai hit the moon over moonsault for the win in two minutes and 45 seconds. We also had Caden Carter and Casey Catanzaro against Ivy Nile and Tatum Paxley. The Caseys came out with like smoke cannons and some brand new gear. Catanzaro also had braids and colored extensions in her hair. Uh, the heels got a lot of offense. Really cool inverted standing moonsault by Paxley. 
before the faces won with the assisted 450 splash neckbreaker to win in four minutes. I say it every time, they should be a tag team on the main roster. I have no idea why they're still in NXT. Ivy choked out Paxley after the bell and just showed a lot of aggression. Both of these matches were short. I'll say they were appropriately short given the lack of experience of their opponents. But starting out with two matches, taking seven minutes total on the show here, it really gave me Queen's Crown Tournament vibes in a really bad way. Hopefully that's not the case next week and going forward. But as far as the way this started, it didn't start as well as it could have. And it certainly is not even holding a candle to the men's tournament. Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams came out for a melabration after he retained the North American Championship. Melo talked his normal shit. Trick brought up Stand and Deliver when Pete Dunne challenged Melo to prove himself next week. Trick started saying no when Melo basically said he doesn't back down from a fight, so he accepted. Cameron Grimes then ran in to attack randomly. So we got Grimes versus Trick Williams. Melo tried to coach up Trick from ringside, but it didn't work. Grimes hit a flying crossbody into Trick's side and won with the cave-in. The match was fine. The setup of this thing with Dunn just kind of disappearing from the entire segment was super strange. Grimes presumably is angry over the distraction finish, but it was like Dunn's segment got taken over by him. It was a really strange way to book the entire thing, given the title is going to be on the line next week in this match. It feels like this is going to wind up being a triple threat at Stand and Deliver. And if it is, if it's Carmelo Hayes, Pete Dunn, and Cameron Grimes, that's going to be a hell of a match. I mean, it's going to bang. But so far, the build to it, if they are going to do a triple threat, has been pretty damn sloppy. And simply throwing Pete Dunn a North American title match against Carmelo Hayes on TV, it's good for TV, but it tells me that it's going to be a schmoz finish and that I'm not going to be happy next week. Maybe they'll prove me wrong. We'll talk about it next week. We'll see what happens. Now, the Creed brothers celebrated their Dusty Cup win with Malcolm Bivens saying the Creeds are better athletes and more accomplished than Imperium, who don't even defend the NXT tag team titles. He kept calling Gunther Gunna and dropped a classic line. Uh, is it Uchi Wally or is it one mic? Are you real or are you fake? Bivens continues to be amazing. Uh, Imperium came out angry with Gunther correcting his name and declaring they would retain the titles. The teams fought as Gunther backed Bivens into the corner, which if you follow him on Instagram uh, and Twitter, you know is incredible because Bivens has this thing with Walter that's been going on for a while. I think dating back to them both being in Evolve, if memory serves. Uh, but just really funny because Bivens is obviously small and Gunther Walter is enormous. Uh, so he talks a lot of shit to him. That's basically the gimmick. Uh, Solo Sokoa made the save and dropped Gunther with a super kick. Bivens stood on the bottom rope, giving Solo a shaky thumbs up. Later, Bivens thanked Solo uh, backstage and offered a high five. But Solo said he did that for himself, not for Bivens and not for Diamond Mine. Bivens was incredible all night, as you can tell. And Sokoa finally fixed his damn hair. Winning stuff all around. <laughs> the, that was one of my biggest like pain points looking at this guy because he's such a good wrestler. He's a good character with a good name and a good gimmick. It all works together, but the hair was awful. Is it good now? I wouldn't say it's good. It's way better than it was. That's what I will say. Uh, Briggs recorded a video of Jensen for a dating app. It was really poorly acted across three segments. Fallon Henley came in and said all he needed, he being Briggs, or sorry, Jensen, uh, was a picture and that she would set up a dating profile for him. Briggs admitted he was just doing it because Jensen's disastrous love life is his entertainment. This whole thing continues to suck. If they could act, it might be okay, but they can't act and it's not okay. 
Uh, Dante Chen fought Duke Hudson. This was the rivalry kind of concluding. Chen attacked Hudson during his entrance. Hudson eventually took out Chen with a razor's edge style powerbomb off his shoulders for the win. It was a great looking finisher combining two of my favorite moves into one. A really good look by Hudson. My concern is if that is actually his finisher, that is gonna absolutely wreck his knees. And it's a pretty big bump for talent, you know, the opposition to take on a consistent basis. So I don't know if he should use it all the time, but man, it was impressive looking. I loved it. Uh, Later after the match, Persia Parada told Hudson he looked really good out in the ring. He made out with her until Indy Hartwell interrupted. Hudson insinuated that he and Indy used to hook up, which Dexter Loomis overheard before bowing his head in sadness and walking away. Man, look, NXT is just freaking horny these days. Like, I guess this wasn't anything that bad. It just felt pretty obvious that they were kind of pushing the sexuality component of the entire thing when I don't really know why Dexter Loomis would be upset that Indy Hartwell may have had a boyfriend who she hooked up with before him. Like, action happens, right? That's the most action I've had all year. So, like, it doesn't really make sense why this would be an issue for anyone, but okay. Uh, Andre Chase gave a lesson on intestinal fortitude. He talked shit about Von Wagner and snapped a couple times before kicking another student out of the classroom. It's been a while since we've had one of these vignettes, like the Andre Chase like teaching vignettes, but I think they finally figured it out from a production standpoint. It was way better produced. It looked better. It looked cleaner than all the other ones they've done in the past. Robert Stone and Von Wagner later had a backstage promo. Stone called Chase stupid for challenging Wagner. They're going to have a match. Wagner will win. I mean, I don't even know what else there is to this. Uh, Nikita Lyons fought Kayla in Lay. This was her debut for Nikita Lyons. Her gear was really distracting. And I'm not saying because it was tight, like others were talking about. She had these big circular holes, like on her thighs, on her stomach, that had snap buckles for really no reason. It was almost like extra zippers on a jacket. It was just really ugly gear. That's the best way I can put it. Uh, There were so many terrible knee shots both ways. Lions hit some kicks, a German suplex and a kip up before hitting a pretty sick roundhouse kick and doing a split directly on top of Inlay's chest for the one, two, three in five minutes. Nikita is really green as hell. So this is really not a judgment of her overall potential, but I was unimpressed here. Now, other people on social media were impressed for a completely different reason. There were a lot of comments on my timeline and under uh, the NXT tweet about, um, how do I say this? Related to the thickness of Nikita Lyons. And I understood what many of them uh, were going for, but I'm looking at it from a wrestling standpoint, not a looks or appeal standpoint. And it was really rough. Um, they should have her working against and losing to veterans as opposed to beating other green talent. That is why NXT Level Up exists, the former 205 Live. It's a show for people to wrestle on and develop until they become ready to actually appear on NXT. It's where Lash Legend should be wrestling. It's where Nikita Lyons and Kayla Inlay and all these other people should be wrestling. While you do have others, uh, you know, Andre Chase, Von Wagner, the Creed Brothers, Carmelo, who are ready to be on NXT. So I don't. there's no reason to force people onto this show and force matches like this that 
really shouldn't have been on the program. I know they want to debut her. It seems they really like her. Um, but she's just not ready. And just like Jade Cargill wasn't ready. And that's even worse that she's getting pushed and getting so much work. She's on the main roster. She's she has a championship now. At least they're not doing that with Nikita Lyons, but man, she's too green as far as I'm concerned, and I would not keep her on TV. I think she needs to do way more work on level up or in the performance center before we see her again. But speaking of level up, I'll I'll talk about that right now. So this was taped after NXT the prior week. It airs Friday night after SmackDown in the 205 Live time slot. But the production of this was absolutely horrendous. So it was pre-taped. And you would assume that in a pre-taped scenario, if there's any production problems with audio or whatever the case, they would fix it. But commentary was half as loud as it needed to be. You could not hear shit the entire broadcast. So either it was an initial recording that was bad that they left, or when they did the sound mixing with the video, they screwed it up. But I don't know how someone didn't notice this. It was just piss poor. It was one of it was maybe the worst produced thing that I've ever seen on WWE Network slash Peacock. Very, very strange. As far as what we actually got in terms of the product, it was what it should be. It was the equivalent of AEW Dark or AEW Evolution. It's what 205 Live has been since they got rid of the cruiserweight division a few months ago. It's basically mostly people who are either not ready for NXT, like to actually wrestle consistently or need to have extra matches or do extra training or whatever the case is on that show. Now, they did have a main event, which was Kushida against Idris Anofe. Kushida, who should probably be on the main roster. Idris Anofe, who is definitely regular NXT cal- caliber. We've already seen him there numerous times. Um, that was the main event. Kushida got chance all match long. He fought uh, and caught Anofe flying with a dropkick and a Pele kick. Anofe countered a springboard elbow with a dropkick. Anofe then hit a tucked moonsault for the one, two, three to beat Kushida in seven minutes. You know, IWGP junior heavyweight champion multiple times. I'm not going to say one of the best wrestlers in the world, but a great wrestler. Um, Someone who should be a multi-time champion in NXT already is losing to Idris Anofe on NXT level up. It really just feels like He's playing out his contract and he's going to go back to Japan. I don't know what the hell they're doing with Kushida. It does not make a shred of sense. They shook hands after the match. I was just floored by the booking. I know it's meaningless. It's still Kushida. We also got Fallon Henley and Kayla Inlay against Ivy Nile and Tatum Paxley. Henley, by the way, is Tesha Price from the Indies. Uh, Ivy got chance from the crowd and she was easily the star of the match. She won with an inverted bulldog choke and wouldn't let Paxley raise her hand. This preceded, of course, their interaction on NXT. Bivens was hyped up after the victory. And the only other match we got was Harland versus Javier Bernal, I believe is his name. Uh, Joe Gacy talked about NXT level up being inclusive, thanks to him. This was an extended squash with Harland winning in a couple minutes. And then on regular NXT, Gacy and Harland were shown confronting Draco Anthony in the gym. Anthony pushed Gacy, but he stopped Harland from attacking in the moment, even though Harland and Anthony are going to fight next week. And it sounds like Gacy is trying to recruit him. So that's really just wrapping up NXT, level up the whole thing together. Level up, again, I just really was not impressed by it. Now, maybe this week they work out whatever issues they have. Maybe the match card will be more to my liking. I'm not going to watch it weekly. I'm not going to talk about it on this show weekly. But it is something I'll at least pay attention to to see what they're booking, how they're booking it. And if it does have, you know, any relevance 
to the NXT product at all. Uh, maybe storylines continuing or something like that. I'll pay attention for a month or so. I have a feeling I probably won't watch it. But, you know, I, I would definitely don't watch this one that I just described to you. But if you want to watch it Friday after SmackDown, give it a shot. I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. You know, see what you think about it. Um, if you like AEW Dark and AEW Elevation and you watch NXT regularly, then you should watch NXT Level Up as well. I think it's only like 45 minutes. So it's definitely a watch. As far as NXT goes, it was a solid build or start to a build for Stand and Deliver. Uh, there was a lot to like about the show, but really what I liked most was that main event storyline, which span across, I believe, uh, three or four different segments on the show. Everything else was kind of lackluster. It wasn't really a lot of stuff I bought into, which was disappointing because the last few weeks of NXT, Vengeance Day, of course, and the two shows that built into it were really good. So I did think it was a step down from NXT. Um, hopefully they get it back next week. They do have five more weeks to build to stand and deliver. So there's plenty they can do both on television and setting up for that special card. And I am really curious how that's going to be timed and when it's going to be scheduled and exactly when anyone is going to be able to watch it uh, on WrestleMania weekend. And really what they're going to do, are they going to put it on TV? Is it going to be a special on Peacock? Is it going to be live pre-taped? Is it three hours of full pay-per-view? Is it going to be at an arena at the FanFest? WrestleMania access? I just have no idea what they're going to do. So curious to see it. And that's really about it. Not only for NXT, but for this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Uh, As I said, we will be back on Tuesday with our normal WWE show talking about this continued build to WrestleMania 38 on Thursday. We will have our AEW Revolution Ultimate Preview. We'll also talk about NXT on that show. If it seems like things get a little too busy, uh, if Vintage Chris Vanini decides to join me perhaps for that Ultimate Preview, which I think is a better than not chance of happening, I may split off NXT and do a separate 30-minute show on Tuesday or something like that. As of right now, though, the plan is to do it all together in one show on Thursday. And then, of course, over the weekend, uh, next weekend, for Revolution, not only will we have instant analysis after the show, we will do a live show on Twitter Spaces. Proceeding it, stay tuned to the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast for the full schedule next week. And as I kind of teased earlier in the show, stay tuned over the next week or two for a huge interview coming right here to the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, along with a number of other interviews with WWE talent as we move towards WrestleMania season, WrestleMania 38. Thank you all for listening. One last reminder before we get out of here, do not forget that Getting Over now and forever. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Leave us that five-star rating on Apple. Add a review. Let us know how much you love the show. And please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. That is it for today. And I will leave you with just three final words. Bye for now. Thank you.